And we're live with our 164th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hey. hi. Oh, hey, everybody. I almost interrupted you there, Ken. I don't know what's going on in my head today. Uh, welcome back to another episode. we got a few things to talk about today. There's been some interesting developments, some interesting products that have popped up. Over the last week or so in the you know, uh, supply chain security space. So we're going to discuss that shortly. Um, I did want to give a shout out uh, to KernelCon training. If you've been listening, you know that we will be there the end of March. We're teaching our practical secure code review, also known as, as Seth and Ken's Excellent Adventures in Secure Code Review. Um, we're teaching that course at KernelCon. And uh, as a bigger announcement, we will be teaching that same course at Locomocosec, um, some fictional conference that exists out in the you know Pacific somewhere. Um, but we will be there uh, teaching on the beach. Um, we've been talking to the organizers and they've invited us to be there. So first of all, let me drop Kernel Con training. The, the Kernel Con spacing is filling up. We're getting, um, there's been quite a bit of interest. I think it's because we haven't taught the course publicly for a couple of years, right? Um, Dude, so I have not been checking my emails. Oh, so okay. I had no idea that we actually did, were confirmed for that, but that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you mentioned it, I was like, I, I thought you were saying like mentioning that we were trying to gonna that we were trying to go there. I didn't realize that that, that had all been. I was just checking. Oh, no. I was like, wait a second, this is all. Yeah, I just went to the email and I was like, oh crap. I haven't checked that in a while. Because you know how yes, sometimes when it's, on your, when it's not on your phone, you like, you know, and you have to go in and like select a different profile and go to that email, especially when you've got like, you and I have like a ton of email addresses. So it's, it's, it's yes. Yeah, I totally missed. I need to hook that one up on my phone. I had the old one hooked up on the phone. Anyways, thanks. Sorry, man. I don't mean to derail. It's just, so, I'm so also apparently, learning yeah, there. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm teaching. <laughs> yeah. I'm notifying Ken at the same time Thanks that he needs to book flights me. and make sure that we, he's in Hawaii along with the rest of us. So. Oh, man. Wow. Um, cool. I'm very yes. excited about that. That's wonderful news. Yeah. 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 So Neil, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, is one of the organizers. Um, they've announced it. The call for speakers. If you would like to go to Locomocosec, you have an idea for a talk. This is the time to jump into it. Um, submit and come hang out at the pool with uh, drinks with me and Ken for a couple of days, because that's what we're going to do outside of teaching. Of course, we're going to teach, um, but then we'll be attending the conference as well. So uh, that'll be a good time. Uh, both of those are confirmed and they're a good deal too, right, Ken? Like we've taught at Black Hat and other places before. And I know from a price perspective, both Locomocosec and KernelCon are way less expensive for attendees than Black Hat is. Uh, so come along and let's you know let's look at some code. Um, Which is good because we both forgot to submit for Black Hat. <laughs> so, <laughs> we were both we were like, that was like what last week we were like oh crap like the email oh, came crap. out and we we're like oh no I forgot to oh, yeah no. I forgot to oh, submit well. that one oh well. That's okay. We'll probably, I'm sure we'll still be in Vegas for DEF CON. I know I'll be in Vegas for DEF CON and, you know, probably Black Hat as well. So I'm probably going to go out there twice, probably August for, for DEF CON Black Hat. And then there's like a Jiu Jitsu Con in September in Vegas. So I'll probably go out there like twice within a month. 
should be fun. Yeah. Get those frequent flyer I, I, points. Exactly. I, I don't know if our podcast listeners are going to be at the jujitsu con. Just, yeah, know. that's true. Yeah, just, not just, relevant. There might be some, right. You know, like, yeah. yeah you, you say that, but I was talking to, uh, I was talking to uh, somebody last night from this info set community about uh, judo and jujitsu quite a bit. Sweet. So, and they're in the app sec world. So I don't know. There, there are, there are quite a few participants that, uh, yeah, that are, that do that in their spare time. So, um, yeah. outside of that, oh crap, there was one more thing that I did want to mention and I've lost it now. So apparently not right. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, after dark, we are going to do after dark. It's on the schedule for tomorrow night. Ken and I do need to get our ducks in a row for that. Um, yeah. but at the very least we can always pull up a, you know, a random project. Well, one that's at least accepting uh, security pushes and um, start from there. Uh, we will be demoing. And there, uh, there is also, um, we posted this last week, um, and I, uh, the blog is now live for Absolute AppSec, if um, people did not know that, right? Um, and there's a number of articles that are up. Um, we're trying to post semi-regularly. Um, but the, the blog is just absoluteapsec.com slash blog. Um, the most recent one that went up was uh, a, an article on the secure code review methodology. So what we're teaching in the course, um, uh, the, uh, the couple of different resources and videos that are associated with it that we've done as talks in the past as we're, you know, as we're spinning into it. As always, if you want to learn to do it and get practical hands-on experience, that's why we offer the training. Uh, but the content is out there. You know, we, we like to share this stuff, obviously. That's why we do the After Dark episodes. Um, but one of the videos that's in there, Ken, was, is actually you running through um, VTM, the uh, Vulnerable Task Manager, uh, wow. using the process. So similar to the After Dark episodes where we're, applying the methodology that's the couple hour video of you actually running through information gathering everything else that we do in it um and it's seen quite a bit of an uptake it's there's been some interest i know it's been picked up by a couple of different newsletters as well um that really? are related to us yeah uh, hmm. so if you're interested uh if you haven't seen the methodology before or you're interested in knowing what it is we go over and what you're going to be learning at either of those trainings jump onto the blog and you can find out. Sweet. Yes. Oh, okay. That's cool. So yeah, that was my promotion of the blog. <laughs> We're going to do after dark. I, I need a list now, Ken. We're busy uh, guys. We're doing a lot of stuff, trying to give a lot of stuff away. So exactly. yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. I mean, we, we've trained a couple of, you know, companies, right. Both consultancies and um, other places, you know, larger orgs, um, their security people and developers on how to do this. Um, it's not something we're trying to hold close to our chest. We just want people to get better at it because we are pretty poor at it. So, Oh, there's actually one thing I did want to, um, just before we get into the news and, you know, talking about basically events and our take on them, I did want to like share uh, that extension from the f students that uh, in case we didn't already, we didn't, did I? Oh, well, if not, hold on. Get lens. Did we talk about that yet? Um, um, like I thought, we did a little bit, but um, yeah, let's let's bring it up. 
right? I, I don't. Okay. I don't remember if we talked about it on the podcast last week or not. That's what, so. that's what I can't remember. Well, I guess it. Yeah, I can't remember either if we talked about it. But if, if not, use GitLens. Uh, some folks brought this up to us. I hadn't used it yet. Um, and then I started using it at work the last like week as I was digging into some like probably about four or five different code bases. What's really nice about it, it gives you a really clean view into essentially get commit or uh, get history, the blame line by line. Like the view is very awesome. Another thing is what I, what I saw that I liked about it was that um, it gives a diff in the IDE. So I installed this in VS Code and oh, nice. um, yeah, having the diff in the IDE along with get blame, basically not having to go to the browser for any reason. That's, that's essentially what it's given me. Um, and that's been really... Just, you know, it's those little things that seem little, but they really save you a lot of time. Um, so anyways, I just thought it was a cool plugin to share with people to try as you're using it, uh, as you're yeah, using an ID for code review. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea. We talk about that. We've got that process in the beginning, especially when we're doing spelunking, right? Like we're getting to know at a repository and all of the Git um I mean, it, Git history in and of itself is incredibly useful, but having that ability to look and see what's changed, um, especially a pull request review or some of the other types of reviews that we do is invaluable. And not having to go, the, go to the command line would be incredibly useful. I mean, I know there's some of that in built into VS Code, but it, it doesn't go to the level of what Git Lens gives you, right? I can kind, yeah. of, kind of go back to that Git yeah, that Git tab or whatever you want to call it, but it doesn't give you quite the same level of detail. And I was just using the basic case, not none of the like I'm not like a power user of it yet or anything, but uh, yeah, even the basic use case was like really just time saving. So that's that's really nice. Um, cool. Yeah, little stuff like that as we you know come come away with new little things to do uh, to or to improve your flow. We'll we'll try and share those out. Yeah, and we do have a blog post that is tools related, or it's it's got a list of like things we find useful. Um, I, I did call it absolutely uh, awesome appsec, right? So, uh, yeah, you can check it out there. We'll add that one to the list of just you know useful items that we you know that we use, you and I use during our reviews and assessments. So, yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, good deal. All right, so announcements over. You can now we can now jump into uh, more fun topics, I guess. Um, which, which, which article do you want to start with, Ken? You sent me over a couple. Um, I actually liked. Can we start with the two that you sent? The uh, I, I want to sure. start with. Uh, you want to start with socket, socket? and socket yeah, have? exactly. I think socket is an interesting one. I don't know if you want to post that link yeah, up. I, and I then... got it. I got it. All right. So Again, just for those, well, I do want to just before, cause like we don't, we don't have any sponsors. We don't, we, not that we haven't gotten offers. We just have chosen not to take sponsorship because like lots of reasons we've gone into it in the past, but anyway, so like just putting that out there that this is not a sponsored thing since this is a paid for pro this is a paid for product. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Or is it open source? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, there is a GitHub app. Um, I should probably look and see. Looks like it's a GitHub app. Um, yeah, nice. It might be. Um, might I'm sure that they'll. 
yeah, I think this is their initial foray into yeah. it. And eventually there probably will be a more, yeah, detected issues. Yeah. Sweet. Sorry, my this, dog's it's pretty sweet. Car. Yeah, nope, you're fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is pretty slick, right? Uh, there's a Mac app for it as well. So you can run it locally or you can run it as a GitHub app. Um, okay, so, oh, well, first of all, sorry, we're like digging in. We haven't even explained what it is, Ken. Um, so it does software supply chain monitoring. Called, it's called Socket. Um, and I, I just stumbled across this this in the last week, right? Um, it says I've been in closed beta for the past seven months, but just launched it, you know, within the last week. Uh, but basically what it does is it's monitoring. So you think about the software composition analysis uh, tools like Sneak, Dependabot, um, everything else. Those go to the level of, hey, what version of this software you're trying to install? Is it out of date? Does it have known vulnerabilities with it? Socket takes this a, a, a level beyond where it actually starts to analyze the package itself for dangerous behavior. Um, and, you know, so it's looking at your package.json file, looking at the packages that are in there, seeing if they are, you know, making net connections, doing, doing things that are similar to uh, malicious software packages, and then notifying you based upon that. Um, I did see they have like an NPM, like, issues, like the number of issues, like the different things that they'll notify on. Um, and this, this is pretty interesting, right? Like, okay, you're using a deprecated package. That's probably a dangerous thing. Um, and yeah. Um, File access, else? network yeah. connectivity, uh, communicating over various like protocols, like HTTPS, um, out, out, outbound. Uh, just like, I think it's just more behavior driven and yep. like there's, you know, obvious cases where they're like, why would a package as it's being installed, you know, start call, calling, start doing things. some of those things. Right. Yeah. Right. And wait, like, wait, which is, to their yeah. point. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was going to say, finish your point and then I'll, I'll bring up something else. So go for it. Uh, it's not really my, yeah, actually it's just what they raised, which was that current analysis is just sort of like a static analysis of the packages really kind of. That's sort of yeah. how, how it goes. But that, that and this isn't what they said, I don't think, but this is me adding this. They, you know, it can be tricky, right, uh, to identify just through pure static analysis, um, just because there's ways to obfuscate certain activities in code and uh, make it hard for like a static analysis tool to detect that. But um, yeah. they're going a bit further and doing more behavior analysis, which is just, you know, overall more interesting, I think. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is, right? Um, and there's a limited subset of packages that are in NPM. I mean, I know there's a lot of packages, but it's not like it's custom code. Um, as far as like, hey, I'm looking at your uh, your application that you've written in Express. This is limited to the packages.json. Um, there's, you know, specific items that it will call out. But it is, I, I mean, it is super super interesting to start doing behavioral analysis as a po as opposed to just strict um, what package is it right like and do we already know that there's issues with it because you're starting to look at dangerous behaviors and like i know like um i mean you know this ken like at, at redpoint we've been working on something that is uh, that's similar to this but for different things right 
um, but doing behavior analysis on top of um, what applications are, yeah, yeah, like what dangerous applications do versus what benign applications do. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're using some sort of, you know, ML model in there as well. Um, I don't know how far they've gotten, but it'll be interesting to actually run and play with uh, to see. So, I, I mean, I would encourage people to go use it, especially while it's in this like beta um, launch mode uh, to see how it performs against your applications and against your packages.json. Um, and I, anytime that we can add additional detective controls, I think that's a great thing. So. Yeah. And their whole point being um, most tooling is, well, not most, I mean, all the, all the tooling is geared for after the fact, right? It's just like analyzing for release CVEs, things like that. So it's all after the, after the fact. Um, whereas this is like, you know, detecting ahead of a CVE being like a vulnerability being detected and introduced and written up and a CVE being released this is all ahead of that, which is just, it, and hearing that it's, you know, primarily open source devs that and maintain package maintainers that have built this product because they're just like tired of it. Right. Um, yeah, that that's inspiring that <laughs> there's, there's like a, you know, at their core, they like really believe in this. So that's, that's cool. Anyways, I, I just thought when you shared it, it, it was really, really awesome. And also flows into the other article you posted really well, which is how to protect yourself as a package maintainer. Uh, yeah. Can, let, let me share that one out really quick thanks. too. Um, cause that, uh, I, I mean, this was a good list, right? Like, uh, you know, I start thinking about, okay, if we were going to do a blog post, um, this is Seth M Larson, no relation to Seth law, but you know, close. Right. Um, but yeah, but he, he, he goes, yeah, me and, yeah, converge. <laughs> there you go. That's it. <laughs> this is, is this your, is this your show? moniker? Is this your, uh, your, you and Justin's <laughs> like uh, secret handle? Is that what's going yeah. on? <laughs> No, I, I don't think so. At least it might not be. It might be. I don't know. I don't remember anymore. Um, yeah, but this is a very detailed like list of items that you should be doing as a package maintainer or as someone that you know is using packages to look and see whether or not those packages are secure. So some of that rolls up into what Socket is doing for sure. Um, but it is more focused on package maintainers, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Like how to secure your accounts. Like it, it's, it's, you know, it's the Crocs and socks of maintaining your package um, and making sure that it is secure. But uh, when you don't do it and you have a popular package, we've seen them be hijacked, right? Um, we've seen them used maliciously, uh, in certain cases, and it's definitely something you don't want on your hands as a package maintainer, right? Um, I mean, we've yeah. seen a lot of these things that they're talking, I mean, these are all rooted in actual issues that have occurred, like orphaning of accounts, transferring ownership, like all of those things have definitely gone bad uh, for people, right? So like, we've seen people get social engineered into transferring ownership of a project and it and it end up being somebody who had malicious intent we have totally seen you know packages sort of uh i mean we've talked about this before where it's not even orphan it's just renamed and then um not like doing the correct hygiene 
um, to ensure that the namespace can't be, you know, overtaken. Um, and uh, yeah, this, you know, people publishing packages that namespaces um, where, where they used to exist and people, the users of those packages installing malicious packages. Like that's definitely a thing. We've seen that, especially with Golang who points directly to a certain major source code repository <laughs> software. Wait, who is that? Who, who is that? I can't. Yeah. I don't know. I just can't remember <laughs> for the life of me who that was. Uh, good times. Um, but yeah, no. So like these are really practical, really great. Uh, in fact, I'm actually thinking about promoting this more uh, internally. And I have actually, um, after you sent this over to me, I did actually uh, send it to folks um, within our own uh, adversarial teams to, to take a look at and see what they could glean um, and think of this. But uh, because this is like very helpful, you know, stuff like this that I love to see is very practical. Well, I, I mean, articles like this don't get enough play. I, I'm going to be honest, right? Um, because there, there isn't anything super flashy in there. It, it Again, it's the Crocs and socks. I, you know, I know I get shit about talking, you know, logging and monitoring. Because it, <laughs> even though like we had December when Log4J was super exciting, most of yeah. the time it, it sucks, right? Like it's hard to do. And you have like, I, I mean, even looking at this list, it's like, yeah, each of these items makes sense, but it's nothing groundbreaking that's in there. It's a list of this is what you really need to concentrate on, right? Like making sure that you have maintainer roles, right? Like that's not a super sexy thing to talk about when it comes to security. And uh, like, this has always been my complaint with like the big security conferences and the whole like infosec rock star mentality that we have is we have hundreds, if not thousands of people that are implementing security across organizations. And mm -hmm. most of them are doing the nuts and bolts. Hey, I'm, you know, making sure that the roles are defined correctly, that you can't actually get into stuff you shouldn't be able to, right? Like implementing firewall rules. Like it, it's not necessarily easy, but it's not, super it's just not super sexy but what gets promoted and what ends up at the conferences a lot of times and yes we've gotten away from that we do have you know appsec villages we have you know blue team we have other stuff that has come up recently but it's still the big vulnerabilities it's still the big exploits that get the get the attention um and I realize that there is a you know, there's a whole risk calculation that goes into that. Obviously, log4j, right? Like you could take over someone's everything, right? With log4j, yeah. um, with that remote Pretty code trivial, execution, trivially, trivially, yeah. So it needed that attention, um, but the the organizations that dealt with it well are those that have prepared, that have the nuts and bolts down, and aren't flipping from fire to fire to fire. And it, it, it's hard, right? Like, I, I guess that's all I was, I was getting at there. I was driving to is, you know, I, I still see that infosec rockstar mentality that's out there. Uh, and I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think we'll ever completely get away from it. Um, but I would like to see more articles like this promoted because it does, it brings the level up for everyone. Actually. So that I, because while you're saying that, it made me think of another article, which is three years, almost three years old. So I'm not going to like say this is, again, it's not 
it's almost three years old, so it's not super new or crazy, sexy or whatever we would say. Um, it is useful, however, and I thought it was a really nice breakdown of doing of implementing two FA for uh, a package um, managing ecosystem. So in this case, it was Trail of Bits and PyPy. Uh -huh. But and I'm trying to paste post the link in there. Um, so again, this is almost for your old article, but I did recently, um, I was just kind of doing some homework, just trying to see what people thought of like, if there was research into 2FA um, and like account recovery and things like that for, for package man manager uh, ecosystems. Um, so I came across this and it, it actually had some pretty interesting um things they gleaned from how people misuse 2FA and then how to actually like prevent that. And there's some interesting things like uh, they found that sometimes re with recovery codes for 2FA, they would find developers just using the 2FA recovery codes versus actually like 2FA, which obviously is like yeah. a bypass of the whole point of it. But um, it it's interesting. Nonetheless, it becomes essentially another password at that point. But mm -hmm. um and yeah, it's just, if you read this breakdown, it has a really good uh, set of thoughts on, you know, TOTP, 2FA, WebAuthn, and account recovery stuff for specifically package maintainer ecosystems. And so anyways, I would just recommend people to take a, if this is something that you're interested in, uh, to take a gander at this article. Yeah. I, I don't know, right? Like I, I, I kind of go back to that, right? Like it's, and maybe it's because I, I, I don't play in like the red teaming space, right? Like uh, the, you know, the, the penetration testing space as much as I play in the defense and code review and application security project space. Um, but most of the resources that I turn to are things like this, this blog, right? Like turning back to um, who was it? Kevin Cody's blog on how to actually build out um or like his their discussion on core stuff, right? Like yes, yeah, and 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 Kevin did, and it's like those sorts of articles have been, and those sorts of resources are more useful to me in the long run than hey, this is how you exploit, you know, CVE twenty nineteen oh six oh eight or whatever, right? Like it, uh, it's, um, it is. Yeah, it's it's just more useful to me in the long run and kind of building up up that library of interesting topics, interesting explanations that help me understand things like oh, things like you know two FA uh, that's going to pay off in the long run, at least in the space that I'm in. I, I I'm pretty sure you're the same way, right? Yeah, but there's also to build on that. There's also like this um, intangible, which is people that have actually done this in a in a real world at scale um, environment, because that's where I seem to tend to same, same, same as you, you know, I'm, I'm on the defense side of things. Um, even though we're the, you know, I manage the adversarial team. So yes, we're offensive to be defensive. True. But ultimately we have to give a lot of guidance and a lot of uh, input. And that, that leads to, you know, okay, well, what have people provided that we can build upon, and done it not from a, well, this is my, you know, this is my like ideal scenario for my consult. And, and this is, you know, we, I play both sides, consulting and defense. I, we all tend to do that, but 
if you have primarily spent your time in consulting and give out recommendations and it's not based in doing this at scale there, yeah, it's not always realistic. So it is nice to see people that have just like shared their lessons learned from operating at scale and trying to implement things like this. I yeah. find a lot of value in, in that. And I, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that. So I, like, I, I, don't, I know I don't mention it often, um, but like I help, I help with the local OWASP chapter here in Salt Lake City. Um, and part of the reason that we got together is exactly what you're talking about, Ken. Um, there are a number of resources or there are a number of companies that are around. And um, we, we like to laugh that it's like our AppSec support group, right? Um, because... It's, it's a bunch of people trying to implement ProdSec and application security in different organizations. And um, the resources that are out there are one thing, but most of the time people aren't as keen to, um, to talk about what their company is doing in settings where it's recorded and shared, right? Um, because yeah. they just, yeah. Whereas when you get in a group where you're meeting for lunch once every couple of months or, you know, just online and it's very informal, it's a lot easier to have those discussions. And I know, uh, you know, the, the large tech companies, you guys have back channels and you have discussions that you have with other large organizations. But that's almost what our OWASP group here locally has become is, geez, I'm trying to train my developers. I got 500 of them. What are my resources? What's worked for everyone else? You know, how has it actually gone doing that sort of an activity? And I mean, I know I have my opinions as being a consultant, but it's really interesting to hear the flip side of, okay, it's this large organization or it's a small to mid-sized organization and what actually works versus, hey, this is what I think works because I, because I put a recommendation in a report. Those are two wildly different things. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, um, you're right. There is there is that same sort of back channel support group for uh, major tech companies. I'm on a monthly. Is it monthly? I, I, don't, I don't know if it's bi-monthly or or whatever it would be. Every I don't know if it's every two weeks or every month. I can't remember. Anyways, I'm on this um, like a AppSec Council thing, and um, why I bring this up is that there I, I don't have anything externally to promote yet, but. Uh, we will be doing a, a, a basically event um, centered around, and actually it's a lot of the people that have been on this podcast, you know, uh, that are involved. And, uh, but yeah, it'll be sort of talking about how apps, basically AppSec at scale. That's the idea. How, how do we do, how do we do our AppSec activities when we're dealing with the scale and size of the user bases and systems that, um, you know, the folks that are on this council, uh, deal with all the time. So uh, it should be very enlightening and very useful. And I will 100% promote it. It is obviously free. There will be a bit of curation on the signup list. But, uh, you know, if you're at all involved in security. Um... Oh, S Seth Larson. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Hey, nice, Seth. Cool. Tatting, <laughs> Welcome to the all discussion. Your, your work right now, actually. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, hi. So, no, but yeah, so I will definitely put out the information um, around that event when it when it's available. But I'm okay. very excited about it because it's going to be incredibly practical in the same, you know, just because we're talking about it made me think of that. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I remember back in the day too, right? Like, I, I mean, that's one of the reasons why Locomocosec has been, you know, it's a product security conference. We're talking more about like how to implement application security within organizations, like what's actually working. It's not as focused or, well, I don't know, because I've never been to this mythical conference, but um, that's my impression. But I, I know that's what we always liked about AppSec Cali as well, um, was the amount of just sharing that was happening at, at that conference from large organizations, people that had actually put it into place. Um, I thinking, I'm thinking about like uh, Jivon's uh, threat modeling uh, posts that he did recently um, as well. Like those sorts of articles are invaluable when it comes to actually implementing security on it, you know, within an organization in a practical manner with stuff that works. Uh, not you, Seth Law, but Seth Larson. We might reach out to you on Twitter uh, later to uh, chat uh, some more. Um, so, yeah, because uh, I think it would be useful to, to hear your opinion uh, and experiences in general. Um, so we will reach out to you via, via Twitter DM, I think, is probably the easiest way to do that. Yep. Um, but, yeah, no, very, very useful article. Um very helpful. Yeah. So, um, so what was the other, what were, what were the other topics that I had shared? I, I honestly forget at this point what, would I, what we, um, this is, this is how we go. There was the uh, uh, critical cross account vulnerability. Oh yeah. And Azure. Is... And I haven't done a lot of research into that. And then also the um, cyber attack against Toyota. Um I, I mean, are we at that at that stage yet? I remember Jerry Gamblin coming on the show, I think as like our third or fourth guest, right? Third or fourth episode and talking about, you know, uh, if a breach happens and no one uh, no one reports it, uh, does anyone care, right? Like, you know, the, yeah. The idea that it's so much is happening and there's so many of these sorts of cyber attacks and breaches. And within the last two weeks, right, like it's gotten worse. Let's be honest. Um, there's a bit of a wild west out there. Oh, um, I'm sorry. I was digging up the link. Are we talking about Toyota now? Or whichever, right? Like whatever. I can, I I can mean, talk about that one too. That sounds like a plan too. Whichever one makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, and I was just bringing up, then... yeah, Toyota, just because it was, I, I'm not sure if it's related to, you know, what's going on in Europe right now. Um, I like, I haven't done a lot of research into it, but I, my gut is it's probably, it, it, it probably is right. Like there is a lot of, there's a lot of offensive attacks going on right now. Um, and you want to keep yourself safe. Yeah. Like you're going to be defending against this sort of stuff, right? Like, so they're shutting down a factory. I mean, how much is Toyota losing? on a daily basis because they can't actually generate those, uh, you know, those 13,000 cars, like it, it ends up being pretty severe. Yeah. That's non, a non-trivial amount of money. Um, and Toyota prides itself. Obviously we all know that um, prides itself on, on its efficiency and its ability to, you know, produce quality cars in a quick uh, amount of time. Um, and this is, uh, this actually went against their supply, um, their supply chain. Um, so I think it was like, I'm trying to pull up the article, uh, but I think it was like plastic and something else supplier, um, that was actually attacked. 
so Toyota said that the attack hit their supplier, Kojima Industries. Uh, man, so suspended 20 yeah. assembly lines at 14 factories. Um, yeah. yeah, but I thought it said like plastic or something. What am I, am I missing something? Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, last month was less business. Uh, chip yeah, shortage already hurting it, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess no, it's no, just yeah, you're right. More. So the supplier, the supplier is a, a, it's a supplier of plastic parts and electronic components. Um, ah, so it wasn't go, yeah. necessarily Toyota's factory. It was just, again, this goes to supply chain security. So software or, you know, physical hardware. product, apparently hardware. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, rough I, I mean, that's going to have, I, yeah, yeah. There's been so many attacks. Like I was watching this YouTube video about um, that aggregated all of the like um, attacks that have occurred uh, since like the in start of the war, what is it, two weeks ago or something like that. And uh, honestly, I, I just, I had to like, I couldn't even, my mind, I, I was like, so it was one thing after the other. I was like, all right, I, I'm just going to watch it and not try to retain all of this information. So it was pretty, uh, it was pretty crazy. Like how many things had gone down um, from a cybersecurity standpoint? Uh, just like you said, too much to even really keep up with. It, it really is yeah, like, crazy. I, I mean, cause like we talked about last week, like the whole anonymous attack on, you know, Russian infrastructure as well. Uh, so you've got that whole section of the internet that is basically unavailable at this point, right. That is down, but you, you can bet your ass that the, you know, that there are counterattacks happening um, and they are targeting things like Toyota, like, you know, they want to put pressure on the other way. Um, yeah. There were, I don't know. Two you know. anonymous style groups that actually um, work together to, Oh, I'm going to butcher this. They, they, they essentially um, stole information and um, yeah, they, they basically left a message after they like stole all this information. And um, I think it was a major supplier of like Russian um, military, you know, vehicles and armament and, and things like that that was attacked. And they, they sort of left a message sort of like, uh, you know, Something, something around, and I might be butchering all of this, so I'm hesitating to even talk about it. But it, I know that um, essentially that the, the gist of it was there was um, malware being used uh, that was. This is not me saying this. this is the anonymous groups. They, they said that it was basically lazy that the Russians, uh, that Russian uh, cyber warfare folks are getting sloppy and lazy, um, really bagging on them, and then. Hit, hit them really hard and, and said, like, this is a reminder of what real cyber warfare looks like, things like that. I mean, it was, and I think they even, like, made fun of them and said that their techniques were, like, from 2012 or something like that, if I'm if I'm regurgitating all of this information correctly. It's getting pretty crazy, um, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, back and forth that's going on. And, and again, it, it's very interesting. I mean, you know that, dissertations and you know we're going to be studying this period in the decades to come as far as okay it's the first real like conflict that's occurred where where cyber warfare is on the table right 
I mean, it's kind of happened in the background in the past, you know, decade, couple of decades, but right now it's, it's definitely a, yeah, it's a definitely a thing that's happening. Right. Uh Um, Yep. So yeah, get it off your chest. You'll feel better. Yeah. I I mean, definitely we do. That's why we do this, Charles, right? That is to get it off our chest. Yeah. This is our support group. (laughs) Yeah. This is our weekly. Yes. 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 uh, Weekly support. So the other one that I want to talk about. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're good. Yep. Yep. Let's talk about, yeah, the Microsoft Azure. Yep. Yeah. This was really cool. I mean, not cool that it existed, but it was a cool find and good write up. And I thought it was, uh, Pretty neat. So the gist of it is that um, if you read through, uh, eff- effectively, let me again, let me try and get all these details correct, or at least most of them. There is an article here, though, so you can read that. So um, through the sort of automation, it's like a sandbox. Uh, uh, so it's like a yeah, it's like kind of uh, like Lambda, right? Um, it runs your code, runs it in the sandbox, and then it and then it dies down. Um, what they found, though, was that, uh, or what this researcher found was that, um, you know, they started doing, they started to try and do like basic things, um, trying to like do a task list, trying to do some other things, and notice some errors from, like Python errors where the path environment didn't exist. And they were like, oh, okay, well, let me see what else I can do. And so they started listing out the directory. They found two directories: a temp directory and uh, sandbox directory, which presumably is where their code is going to run. Um, start digging a little bit deeper there. Um, and come in, come basically come across, um, code and, uh, tokens. So their tokens that they find, or they're, you know, I think they're like JWTs or something generated through some sort of OAuth mechanism, something like that. So they get a JWT back, um, it's their JWT. It's how they access various services. But then the question is like, well, how is this JWT being uh, retrieved? So they um, find a directory that's got a bunch of content. It's got some DLLs, got some EXEs. Reverse that code. And then they end up looking at essentially MVC code, right? So they're looking at the controller that ta- discusses like how um, how it's going to return JWTs for for customers and ghosts through the uh, the flow there. What they find is that when they add a header of meta, they're able to do a bit more as, you know, the source code, they have it. So they, they realize, oh, I had the meta, meta header, I can do a bit more and uh, keep iterating. And then to, to, to discover that essentially they can uh, generate JWTs for other uh, organizations. So the, re- the reason for this, uh, the reason they found it on other orgs, I should back up, part of their discovery was that when they would go to retrieve this JWT or this token, they would see um, a port open up that was on a high, super high port, right? So what is it? Security through obscurity type mm-hmm. behavior. So they're, they're continually scanning these ports as they're going through these handshakes and realizing other ports are opening up. So you just start asking for um, or hitting this endpoint over various ports at different intervals of time continuously. And then, you know, inevitably, inevitably they're catching the JWTs being generated for other orgs on different <laughs> ports. So then they are able to use those tokens to then yeah, pivot through further using um, f- further through Azure services as uh, 
the um, other companies that they whose JWTs that they have. So, anyways, I thought that was a really fun re, uh, write up to to read. I'm I'm thankful I wasn't involved in that incident and the response to that, but. Um, yeah, super interesting. And it's, it's a big, and actually, so there's two things that from the article I wanted to point out. Um, one was I really liked the way they looked at, so Crocs and socks. I really liked the way they talked about logging, which um, they said it was sort of an insight into, it was almost like reading the diary of what the developers intended to log, meaning they now know what developers think is meaningful. And I, and I, and I love that. And I think it's really an intelligent, like behavior profiling technique. And the second one, uh, was more just about, um, how, if you can combine like they they did a really great job. They've got a, like a good red team, uh, sort of approach to it. But if, uh, you have source code knowledge and some application security knowledge, it would help this whole process to, to go further faster. Um, so those are the two key points I wanted to point out there, Seth. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I posted that quote from the article, right? Uh, log files are great for research. In many cases, logs provide very and concise and important information. Yep. You essentially have a chance to peek inside a diary describing what the developers deemed important. And, and, and that's super important, right? Like, so number one, logs do that, right? Like in, in our course, we always talk about uh, unit like test cases as well, right? Because again, it's what developers deem important. Anything that points you at, like, yeah, at those uh, priorities that a developer has is like is going to be useful in the long run. But yeah, the write up there is great, um, you know, and they even named it what auto warp. I think is what they mean yeah. the vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, did they did they even register autowarp.com? Let's see. Um. Yeah, I know. Right? Uh, no, nope, nope, they cool... didn't. Yeah, you got to have a cool name anymore for your vulnerability. If a vulnerability isn't even branded, is it even a vulnerability, Ken? Is it it exploitable? It's got a logo. It's got a logo. It's got a great name, a great logo. (laughs) Might as well be a startup at that point, right? (laughs) I did Um, think this was a... Yeah, uh, I reported the flaw to Microsoft the same day. I'd like to thank them for being so responsive and cooperative. Microsoft, I'm not reading this because I get who I work for, but that's not why I'm reading. I'm actually trying to see like what was the if they had a timeline. Um, oh, they did. Yeah, they reported it in I think December, November, December of last year, and it was fixed within a couple of months, right? Um, yeah, because did... that doesn't feel like one that would be super simple to just overnight fix. Mm-hmm. No, they did fix it. It was within like four days. Oh, that's really good. So they it was reported December 6, 2021, and Microsoft fixed it by December 10th. Yeah, and it's really hard to do. Again, we're talking about scale. It's it's hard to make those decisions. There's so much that goes into it between. So, well, yeah, well, all the, the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. What's that? All the, rest, all the rest of us were dealing with Log4j. And those guys were jumping on this, right? Like that's- uh, terrible. Tough times. Um, but I will say, just given the sheer size of the logs they had to pilfer through to even get... Because to- you have to do a few things when you deal with these incidents. And I, <laughs> I know this because I deal with two- more than I would like to deal with. Um, you know, but uh, so basically, um, 
yeah, you have to figure out if anyone's been exploited, you have to figure out and coordinate communication um, to, to those that might be affected as well as just like how you're going to communicate out whatever went wrong and the scope and, and, you know, what, what all, what all data could have been taken and all that stuff. Um, then you need to figure out, um, if you're going to introduce breakage or, you know, sometimes you have to do an, not in this case, I would imagine, but in some cases, when you change things around, you have to figure out and analyze like usage before you can make those changes so that you don't negatively impact certain metrics, which essentially mean money. Right. So, um, so those are some things you have to think through. Um, you have to test the fix. Uh, that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, there's just a whole number of activities you kind of go through, but those are the main ones. And, and of course I'm like really high leveling that because if you dig deep down, if you dig down deep into each one of those, it's like a ton of activities around just identifying if someone was exploited. It's not that simple, obviously. So a lot, lot that goes into it and, uh, not never fun and always inevitably ends up being at night. Yeah, <laughs> <of> the weekend. <laughs> yeah, it does because I mean it spills out pretty pretty quickly, right? Like they never happen at nine a.m. It's always at four p.m., right? That you get notified, and then or on a weekend. And we've all been through that, uh -huh. right? Like, and uh, from a support perspective, not super fun, but at the same time, it yeah, it's it, it's part of the job for sure. It's um, actually an interesting part of. Um, it's an interesting part of when you also have run a bug bounty and have to respond to those incidents because bug bounty researchers tend to work when yeah weekends over weekends holidays yeah. yep so when something's detected yeah it's usually that you're going to be dealing with that on the december so they december so december 6th was a monday and december 10th was a friday so between that's good. So it wasn't it wasn't during the weekend. It looks like it was like a normal Monday through Friday incident. Cool. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to chat about on that one? Um, I'm trying to think. Like I'm not as familiar with it, but I like I'm enjoying reading the write up. Um, it's well done. Oh, I have a question for Charles. Actually, I'm going to ask a question for once. Okay. Um, for WebAssembly, I know you're working with WebAssembly and Rust. Have you worked with any web frameworks with Rust? And if so, is like Rocket the de, de facto for Rust? I'm trying to figure out like what are the really popular ones with Rust, if you happen to know that. I know you're, you may not, may or may not be dealing with those more like popular web frameworks, but if you have any insight, something I was trying to figure out because I, I, I know Rust is like, presumably supposed to be more like Golang and just, you know, really performance-based, not necessarily like intended for like web app usage, I think. I think. I don't know. But uh, right now, Rocket is a def. Okay. I, I, that, thank you. I, I was trying to figure that out like uh, last week. Um, primarily, Seth, because I, I was actually thinking about with After Dark, like what, how wild it would be to look at open source Rust web frameworks. I was like, is there like popular... Rust web yeah. and then I um, mean I'm not as I'm not as familiar with Rust as it is, so it might be yeah, a good same. one. I, like, yeah, so because I know both you and I have dealt with PHP and JavaScript and Python. Like we've done those for years, right? 
Um, so it'd be interesting to dig into like something that is using Rocket um, and Rust uh, just to show, yeah, just to show the process when we don't know the language, right? Like it's, yeah, I, I mean, it's something when, you know, we've been developing in Java or whatever for umpteen years, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, Java, C Sharp. What are the popular ones where you typically deal with? It's like Java, C Sharp, uh, Ugh. Oh my God. I think I told you this, that uh, actually, yeah, I actually had to work with so weird that we did the after dark episodes. I've never touched Laravel. And then like a few weeks after here I am faced with a, a Laravel application and I'm like, what is happening? But anyways, yeah. Uh, Ruby, Python, Node. Node has been a big one for me for the last five years. Node's been uh -huh. like a lot of my time has been spent in the Node world. So, and actually like, uh, JavaScript, I've been seeing a lot of, actually I've been doing mobile apps, but based on like react native, right. Um, uh, which is interesting, like how they're, how that's actually implemented on both iOS and Android. Um, but if you look at Kotlin or Swift, right, those are pretty close to, you know, Python or whatever else. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to dig into a new language that I haven't really dealt with, or I haven't dealt with as much as I have some of those others. Um, but so if you have suggestions, I know we're, we're close to time for today, Ken, but oh, if right, anyone yeah. listening has suggestions for open source projects, um, something that is rust related, right? Like rust rocket related, or, you know, even maybe go, you know, some of those other frameworks that are in go, um, that would be interesting. Um, I don't know, like we've been talking about doing some, um, some in like solidity or some of the cryptocurrency languages like the smart contract languages as well it could be interesting like there's a lot of places that we could go that i know you and i don't have as much experience with um but if anyone mm -hmm. has like a pet project uh, send it over or reach out to us at least at the very least we could consider it or reach out to the maintainers to see if they have some interest in us doing a live code review on it so um yes I sentry interesting okay um and then I was gonna post up the link for after dark episode three for tomorrow so it's at 9 p.m eastern uh 6 pst and I don't know what you're what are you mountain time yeah I'm mountain time so mountain it's time, okay. seven for me right yeah is that what time you said yep yeah usually two hours behind uh so, yep. Cool. Cool. Yep. So uh, join us tomorrow. We'll dig in. We'll be, yeah, I mean, we're going to be starting fresh uh, information gathering um, with whatever project we decide on, but we'll probably tweet out about the project um, as soon as we get approval on it before we jump into it. Um, or at least you know, when we're talking to it, we are coordinating some with the hundred dot dev people on it. Um, and yeah, looking forward to it. It's always a good time. Don't forget about Loco Moco Sec. That's going to be a good time. The mythical conference, the conference that shall not be named. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, sweet. Um, yeah, I think that about wraps it up for today, Ken, unless you got anything else that you want to talk through before we, we close it out. Nope. Just stoked to see everybody in Omaha at the end of the month. Um, I actually am really excited to just get on the road and do this again and be in person for it. Uh, yeah. Just, I can't, 
tell you how much better it feels to give the course in person than virtually. So, um, yes, I'm super stoked. Yep. Yeah, me too. And like I said, it is filling up. Um, I know we've been getting emails from the organizers on, oh, how many people can we support, right? So if you're interested, it's a great opportunity to jump in and actually take the course and, you know, exercise or learn some code review skills. We will make you, we'll make you implement the process. That's the whole idea. Over and over and over again, but it's worth over it. and over so. and over. Yes, yes, but it does pay off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, thanks everybody for joining today. Uh, we'll catch everyone next week. Uh, we do have some guests that are we're lining up now as well. Um, previous people that have been on the podcast and others that are interested. That and if you have other people that you would like us to interview or you would like to or you think would be interesting to talk to, uh, let us know. We have no problem reaching out to people to schedule schedule some time to talk. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Ciao.